Hi, I'm Big Nakuma, and I'm Audio Nerd sixty four, and we are your gamer friends. Yes, we are. This week, we're logging in with No Man's Sky on Xbox. D and D and Magic: The Gathering are getting a crossover. Twitch is making a creators camp. Microsoft's xCloud is coming. It's coming for us all. And Destiny, we get some updates for Forsaken. Then, in these past two weeks in DC, I guess, to compensate for last (laughs) episode, (laughs) San Diego Comic-Con happened, uh, the epicenter of the nerd universe, Mm -hmm, and we'll be mm -hmm. covering all of the various announcements, largely DC related. Yeah, they, uh, they came into play. They did. Um, you know, they don't have anything else going on. And we're going to talk about James Gunn getting fired from Guardians of the Galaxy. What a shit show. It's a real mess. Real mess. Afterwards, we are breaking form and we are not saying a damn thing about any games that we played. What? LLJK. We played a lot of games. We did. At the Game Developers of Color Expo that happened at the Schomburg Center up in Harlem. Shout out. We are taking you there. You're going to be coming with us in the trenches it's of the game. Like you were right there. Like you were right there. It's like, be great. It's amazing. It's great. It's fantastic. I'm excited. But we got to get into some news first. Logging on, we're going to talk about Destiny, right? First? Yes. Uh-huh. Destiny. You sound really enthusiastic. I. Yeah, I was listening to the the last part of the Game Informer. You know, they always end their month long caps with a with a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'm ready. I think, you know, I've seen some of the gameplay, some of the new exot, not some of the new supers. It looks good. I'm excited to be excited about Destiny again. I've been feeling very conflicted about it because, undeniably, the last two weeks in Destiny have been very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um. But I have not played as much. None of us have. I mean, honestly, a lot of it is just me being busy. But even then, uh, there's a lot of other stuff being played. And so I'm kind of thinking that Forsaken is going to be an interesting Destiny experience. Mm -hmm. Anyway, into the news about it. So first and foremost, unrelated to Forsaken, Destiny is releasing a grimoire book For those of you who are veterans of the Destiny universe, you know that there was no (laughs) lore really in the game. And I'm not just talking about like in the game in terms of like books that you can read. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just did a really bad job with any story related (laughs) content in Destiny 1. (laughs) And in order to read actually what was happening, you had to earn things and then go into the grimoire, which was only available on the app or online. It was completely outside of the game. Mm -hmm. In Destiny 2, there's lower tabs on different items, and that's how we're really getting lore injected into the game, but now there's no grimoire in Destiny 2. So perhaps this is some kind of addition to the grimoire for Destiny 2, or maybe it's just the Destiny 1 grimoire turned into a book. Either way, I'm definitely going to get it, because even if it's just the Destiny 1 lore, that is the best part of the game. And it sucks that it got buried by um, incompetence. Well, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I have very complicated feelings about this game still. Um, How are you feeling about the, the Forsaken stuff? 
I'm feeling good. Na, 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 na. <laughs> the the new exotics look really fun and necessary in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about the storyline. If anything, though, I'm I'm like worried because I really think that it's going to be us and a few other people from the clan, but not nearly everyone coming mm-hmm. back to the game. And I'm kind of going off of the Whisper of the Worm quest that came up just last week. Right. So We didn't do that. No, we didn't do it. Um, I didn't have time the first week. It's literally live right now. And sometime this weekend is my plan to go in and get it. Destiny 1 had kind of like hidden weapons in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was a mission that you could do. And as long as you did a certain thing during the mission, you had the potential of unlocking a whole separate new hidden mission inside of a mission. And if you completed that within the time frame that the game gave you, you would receive this really incredible weapon called uh, the Black Hammer. It was a sniper rifle that if you got three consecutive headshots, it would automatically refill your magazine and it wouldn't cost you any ammo from your reserves. It's also comically long. What? The, the sniper. Oh, you mean like the barrel? Yes. <laughs> I When I first saw a picture, because as we all know, I did not play the first Destiny. Right. Um, but when I saw a picture of it, I actually thought it was fake. I was like, who photoshopped <laughs> this monstrosity of a gun? It looks terrible. So that was the first iteration of the gun. The second iteration of the gun was when it was reincarnated as an exotic as the Black Spindle. And the Black Spindle did the same thing as the Black Hammer, but it took the refilled ammunition from your reserves. So Mm -hmm. it was not infinite ammunition like the Black Hammer was. Either way, it was still like a must-have raid weapon for bosses. And now Destiny 2 is getting its own version in The Whisper of the Worm. Mm -hmm. And number one, it's incredibly interesting from a lore perspective. And number two, it's incredibly interesting from a gameplay perspective. So number one, from a lore perspective, there was a weapon in the original Destiny called the Touch of Malice. And the implication of the Touch of Malice is that when we killed Oryx, not in the main campaign, which was his, like, you know, earthly body. But when we went into his throne world in the raid and killed him there, then he was, like, kind of actually dead. But the Hive, because of, like, lore reasons, <laughs> believe in this thing called the sword logic and blah, 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 blah. Basically, if you die, you deserved to die. And... The person that kills whomever, like, kind of takes their power as well. So uh, it's like a very extreme version of Darwinism almost that the hive kind of thinks that they are the superior race. And so they will eventually snuff out all life in the universe but them. Um, So the touch of malice is kind of like, Oryx saying, I'm not actually dead. I'm living on through this weapon because every time you kill something with this weapon, you're feeding 
the same sword logic that I subscribe to. So the Whisper of the Worm is the same exact concept, except with the uh, the Worm God that we just killed in Warmind, Zul. Uh, it's really interesting. Definitely try and go get the gun, or at the very least, look up a YouTube video with the lore if you're interested in this kind of thing. Uh, it's really cool. The second thing that's so awesome about it was just that the mission itself looks so fun. It really energizes the community, and I think that it proved that not only is the Bungie team still thinking about you know injecting these types of fun and uh, really hidden experiences back into the game, but that they're able to execute them really well. They're not just doing it and it's going to suck. Who shall? The novel jumped out. Wow. Don't you like how I mixed those memes together? No, I um, didn't. So topical. No one thought it was clever. Moving on. Whatever. We have a whole other show to do. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you can check out my Destiny Lore podcast. Oh, my God. I'm kidding. I don't have one. I'm not producing that. <laughs> uh, for all you big nerds out there, D&D and Magic the Gathering are making a crossover. This isn't their first one, but it's their first one in a while. You can check out Guild Master's Guide to Ran Ranisa. I mean, no, I'm fucking that up. I'm sure, but I don't know how to pronounce it, and that's not like they put the in a, you know how to pronounce the things in the thing. So I'm losing some nerd cred. I understand that. It's okay. I'm I'm over it. Are you over it? The novel jumped out. <laughs> He's not over it. Um, but it looks cool. I, I've actually never played well, either game, but especially I've heard of Dungeons and Dragons, obviously. We've talked about it a couple times, and then that's making a resurgence, but I've never never really heard much about Magic the Gathering. Have you? Yeah. Magic the Gathering is a card game. Yes. I didn't know that. That was the only thing I knew about it though. Oh. It's I mean, like, I used to play Pokemon with my little brothers and sisters, like the card game. And so we would go to the local comic book shop and play, and there were people playing Magic the Gathering. Mm. I mean, it's a very similar concept to, like, you know, that kind of fighting game. Got it. I don't know the rules of Magic the Gathering. That sounds like fun. But we'll I've played have to, a few times. We'll have to look that up one day. It's fun. Because it's I a mean, game. It's a lot. It's, like, more expensive than video gaming. In really? In my opinion. Well, because every pack of cards is, you know, true, true. however many dollars. And I I can't imagine that you can buy $60 worth of cards and be set for several months. You probably are going to buy $60 worth of cards. Yeah, Pokemon was not a cheap too. hobby. No. That's why I never got into it. Not if you were super into it. Like, I would buy cards because I was looking for specific things. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really allowed to have Pokemon cards. So. Ironically, I wonder why no one freaked out about Pokemon cards as gambling. Hmm, they were like it's the same crates. concept of a as a loot box, right? A loot box, yeah. Huh. I guess I don't know. Yeah, it is the same thing. Because I'm thinking like people, but people would also do it with baseball cards. Like, my dad had a shit ton of baseball cards, has a shit ton of baseball cards, and he would, like, get multiple things with the same pack to try to, you know, find. Huh. Yeah, it's gambling. It's definitely gambling. Hmm. The brilliance jumped out. 
Moving on. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> um, so we're finally uh, hearing a name for the service that has kind of been rumored for a while. That's right. Microsoft xCloud. xCloud. I don't know um, what that was. Don't. It was weird. It's very weird. <laughs> so, you know, it might be some new hardware, um, like a console, but not a console that you download any games. It is something where you are entirely streaming the game. So really turning uh, games into like a Netflix-like commodity. So is it going to be like on a USB stick? <laughs> no, I think Plug the they, Roku in? <laughs> well, that's the con- it's the console. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what how like the console is going to change. I I would have no clue to like stream something of that size. Like what do you keep? Well, obviously we, not the hard drive, but like <laughs> we already know that some games work like this. Like that's how World of Warcraft works. Right. You are just streaming the whole thing. Uh one of Ubisoft's executives was talking about this not that long ago with regard to the future of Assassin's Creed and kind of thinking uh, out loud that Assassin's Creed might not be the type of game where one is set in Egypt and this one is set in Greece and Mm -hmm. that one is set in Italy. It's that they all build on one another and it's one long-term universe that's getting built because Mm -hmm. if you are streaming the game, then if you're in the Egypt section, it's only going to stream the Egypt part for you right now and then you can switch over without having to switch discs. The idea of games as a service, Mm -hmm. um, as a concept right now, we're only thinking like Destiny and The Division and World of Warcraft and stuff like that. But soon it might be everything if you're streaming. Right. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. It's not like, you know, we're not surprised. Right. It is where things have been going. And it might be a good explanation for why so many games were getting remasters recently. Maybe hmm. they know something that we don't. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll find out soon enough at some point. I mean, we're I guess they're thinking next generation. That's true. Can't be too far away. Can't be too far away. So what is it? What are we on year? What year is this generation in? Four. Okay. I think we have some time. Yeah, I mean, people underestimate how long the Xbox 360 era was. It was very long. It was. A lot of red rings of death. Glad they figured that one out. But one thing that we don't have to wait for, and when I say we, I mean specifically streamers, so not us. Is Twitch's creator camp. Uh, and they're building like a whole set of resources and tools to like help with like burnout and mental health. I know you were talking, or we were talking a lot about uh, a lot of Twitch streamers and a lot of YouTubers, especially, have been just like burnt the fuck out, you know, making content. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that like a resource like this exists. Um, I was reading up a little bit on it, and it wasn't just about like the streamers themselves, but like also. The relationships that they build with the viewers, um, and there was like it was in a Polygon article. We'll link to it in the show notes um, about like how to handle like viewers who are dealing with self harm or like suicidal ideation and stuff like that. I think it's interesting how that sort of stuff falls on the creator. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I feel negatively about it. Yeah, I just. 
I, I like the idea of like offering resources for creators and streamers to take care of themselves. Um, but I don't think it's like, I don't think it's responsible to leave the mental health of the viewers up to the creator. I think that it would be fairly easy to detect uh, sentences and words that people are using to indicate that they are having suicidal thoughts or whatever uh, and have some kind of response from Twitch. Just like um, maybe all these streamers wouldn't be having mental health breakdowns if Twitch was better able to regulate the racism, xenophobia, homophobia, etc. that is rampant on their platform. I, I think that ultimately putting it back in the hands of the content creator is a little irresponsible, uh, especially considering their business model. If you're making money off of people doing something, then you should be protecting them as much as they possibly can. Right. Like, isn't it within your business interest to make sure that your top streamers are not having mental breakdowns and therefore not bringing in any more revenue for you? Which, like, that's the capitalist way to think about it, but I think you're right. At the end of the day, it's dangerous to be putting this in the hands of someone who is not a qualified health professional. Yeah, it just reminds me a lot of, like, college when like i feel like a lot of like that sort of work was done at the student level and a lot of like groups that i was in and it's just like these aren't professionals right it's great that they're offering these resources i'm not begrudging them for offering the resources so you should definitely you know think about how you would react to someone doing something like that in your chat and how you respond in a way that does not you know cause any harm that said, I don't think you should be put in that position in the first place. Yeah. That's a tough... I don't know. It's tough. I'm not a streamer, so yeah. I can't really... There's and only also, but so like, much I can can't say about it. stop someone from talking about that kind of stuff unless you're really going to try and censor. Yeah. I just can't imagine that, like... We know that Twitter, for instance, can detect if you have Elon Musk's name in your name for for Twitter right. and they immediately ban you. Uh, clearly Silicon Valley has figured out a way to determine what people are typing and have some kind of automatic response to it. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's typing up stuff about suicide, I think it's very easy to maybe, you know, immediately direct them to a suicide hotline. Just yeah. force I, their browser to go there. I think was it Tumblr there was one website that actually did that. Tumblr. It was Tumblr. Yeah. If they see you posting anything or there's like a tag or something like that, they there's some kind of pop-up that comes up with all the information for suicide hotlines and help websites and that kind of thing. Maybe that might be a helpful feature to... Right. There's no reason why they can't do it is my point. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it plays out. I'm interested to see um, how streamers use it and what the feedback is. But... Yeah, for me I'm like more I'm I'm obviously concerned about mental health, but I'm also concerned about all the other things that come along with uh Twitch streamers having volatile chats and from what I can tell this is not really uh unrelated impacting that. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. And our last bit of news, No Man's Sky has arrived on Xbox. So now if you really love Minecraft, you can play Minecraft in space. Yeah. Apparently you can get a ship too, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you can fly around. 
No, I mean like a command center or something. Oh. I don't know. People are, you know, very excited about it. Some people in our gaming clan, uh, <laughs> it is like their new thing. It's the new thing. For a week and a half until they move on to the next new thing. Yeah, they can talk about this one for a It's been, I think, a full two weeks. Give them credit. The credit is due. It has due. not been out for two weeks. No, it hasn't. No. But I feel like the hype train has been rolling for two. Like They were like, oh my god, it's coming, and then... I mean, maybe. Tim has been talking about the GTA expansion that has come out, and he has not played it at all. Wow. <laughs> but he just sucked his attention right away. <laughs> um, damn, I, I wish it was kind of like on Game Pass, because I have like no reason to buy it. That's the thing. The beautiful <laughs> thing about putting The Division on Game Pass was that all the people who heard all the bad stuff about what the game was like when it launched versus like, you know, the whole cocoon period it went through and now it's amazing. They get to check it out for free. That's right. For No Man's Sky, I, I can't also want to check free. it out for free. <laughs> I just want to just peep and then if I like it, I'll buy it. Maybe. Yeah. I would just play for free. And that's, <laughs> and that's well, how that's I feel not how that. the industry makes money. We can't sustain ourselves on free things, Nick. That's not true at all. Well, no, it's not. I'm sure if everyone had a Game Pass subscription, that studios would make much more money than if people bought individual games. Hmm. I think so. It's a thought. Anyway. People uh, are excited because apparently, like, No Man's Sky was like ass, and then it got like all these updates and fixes and now people are happy with it which is great i'm happy for all of you players out there playing no man's sky maybe i'll join you someday won't be tonight won't, won't be, be tomorrow it's free yeah um when we've we got a lot to talk about in these past two weeks in nerddom you mean these past two weeks in dc still not having a plan for what the fuck that they're doing the good news for everyone who hates <sighs> dc like i do is that while we are going to be talking about dc it's mostly going to be talking about how dc sucks yeah we're going to be shitting <laughs> on dc <laughs> they're trying so hard <sighs> It's so cute. I just want to give them a pinch on a little cheek. What the fuck is first? <laughs> Birds of Prey is first. Birds of Prey. A great concept. Been done really well in comics. I have no hope. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the Birds of Prey has had... They just keep rotating members in and out. It's had a whole fuck ton of people. But I think the four main people for this Suicide Squad spinoff is going to be Harley Quinn because apparently everyone loved her. I still have not seen Suicide Squad. Don't give a fuck. Why would you? Exactly. I have better things to do in my life. Um, but rounding out would be Batgirl, Black Canary, and Huntress, which would excite me if this was five years ago. But it is not five years ago. It is today. And today, I know that they're going to fuck it up. Oh, well. I'm theoretically excited for it. I know it's going to be bad, so... <laughs> I'm excited in theory. That it's yeah. A- um, same <sighs> thing for the Titans announcement. All right, uh, we got to... It was we, bad. We got to dig into this. Because yet again, we have the... It's like another situation where, like, everyone is mad at the wrong people. Anna Diop is playing Starfire, and Starfire, well, she's not white... She's not black. She's a woman of a color. She's woman of color. A color. Uh, a color. Uh, the color is usually orange. So all the fanboys are 
fire mad about Starfire being black. That being said, I don't. I think mo- okay. I think what most people are mad about is that she is not orange all the time, like she is in the comics. But the only person that they are going after is the black woman. Like it's like reminds me of the the Ghostbusters reboot. Like right. everyone's big mad that it's all women, but who got the shit end of the stick? Leslie right. Jones. So like, and then someone made a really good point on Twitter was that like these decisions are not up to the actors at all. They're not. It's like. The, like the shit costumes are the shitty costume designers. The shit sound, uh, the shit effects are from the shitty visual effects people that they got or Who's Responsible for that wig. Party City. <laughs> That's who's responsible for that wig. Oh my god, it's a really bad. Oh, I mm. all love. Yes, all love to Diop. I just can't believe that they have screwed up Starfire so bad. They screwed up the whole... The whole thing is fucked up. Like, the tone is not what we want. Fuck Batman. Fuck Batman. Like, all right, I get... All right, maybe Titans was, like, grittier in the comics. That's great. We didn't read the comics when we were kids. We were watching Teen Titans. And, like, Teen Titans had its gritty moments, right? But it was lighthearted. It was fun. There was lessons learned. There was camaraderie. What... I don't know... That whole trailer, everything, everything about it just looks so bad. And here it is again. It's the same fucking team that does the CW shows, Berlanti production dude and his whatever. And yet again, there are no crossovers. Like you literally have an entire universe that is introducing Batwoman now. And you have a kid Flash. The DC TV universe could be, like, so well done and so expanded and so fleshed out and so rich. I think the depth that they can go, they, they could have potentially go into with the DC shows could be there if they would just, like, put all these characters in the same universe. You literally have the same production team doing all of these shows. And every time it's like, no, they're not together uh, until, like, they do well. And then it's like, oh, they're... They're in a different universe. They're on Earth, too. And then they just come together for, like, these big crossover events. It's just, like, there's, like, no plan. Like, no one is, like, sitting down and being, like, this is what we want to do. There's no, like, head DC person just being, like, all right, here's the thing. And, like, they have all these new shows coming to this new DC um, streaming platform. You know, it's it's TVs, shows, new TV shows, movies, comics, all this. And it's, like, damn, this could all literally just be connected and it never is and i'm just like why maybe if dc's handing out you know a first month free maybe i'll check it out that's about it though i'm like titans looks terrible Mm. and i'm sorry for all that i'm sure wonderful actors and actresses that are involved Mm. i saw the trailer too i mean we don't have to do more for them than what they did for us fair enough i mean it is it you know this is i get it it's tv oh well what else is DC fucking up? DC's fucking up, Aquaman. DC is fucking up. I just, here's the thing. Nothing about the movie is appealing to me other than, like, the Aquaman story. Like, I, it's going to be cool to see Aquaman on screen, but the CGI looks really bad, and the underwater stuff looks really bad, and it seems like a lot of the movie is going to be really bad CGI <laughs> and really bad underwater stuff. 
Just like I saw so much Justice League bullshit that was just really bad because the CGI was so bad. Just thinking about that mustache. <laughs> who who okayed that? I don't know. It's, Ugh, it's, I'm sure it's going to be fine. People are going to go see it. Mm. I can't get excited because I just I don't know. It, I don't. I don't want to go into something knowing that I already think it doesn't look good. Yeah. I just don't even like how they, this characterization of Aquaman, to be honest. As a bro. He's a bro. <laughs> I, it just, it's just not doing it for me. I'm very sad. This this is a very sad taping. My friends. <laughs> not uh, for me. Not Shazam. <laughs> This is the one that I'm, uh, you know, excited for in terms of the non-animated stuff, which we still have to get to. Right. Um, I, I thought Shazam looks cute. It looks cute. I've never been a huge Shazam fan. The original Captain Marvel, but I, I think it's a cute do? thing. You know, the powers are cute. I think it's the same problem as Superman uh, for me, anyway. Just like someone who's incredibly powerful that can fly, and that's. Yeah all that's really special about it. Mm. Um, but I think this is the one that I would actually go and see. Have fun. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I'll wait till FX is playing it. Really? Yeah. Um. <laughs> You're not buying Zachary Levi as a buff, huge man. <laughs> I mean, the movie looks like it's gonna. It's cute. It looks cute, but it's a no for me, dog. Is it crossing over with everything? I don't know. Cause I thought the rumor was at, or the thing was at first that it wasn't. But then, like you see, like the you know the superhero memorabilia, and he's like, I want to be like Batman. I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, Nobody knows. Is Ezra no Miller in it? Plan. Ezra Miller's not in it. Why would he be in it? I don't know. Well, he was about the only thing at Comic-Con that gave me any joy. Like, at all. I feel like we have so much else. Like what? Well, um, Young Justice. I think oh, it's yeah, our that's last right. DC thing. It's coming back. It's coming back. I'm excited. I love Young Justice. And they canceled it way too quick. They always cancel the good shit. I've long said that the DC animated stuff is much better than anything else that they do, and in some cases, better than Marvel's animated stuff. Yeah, I so, can't think of a Marvel animated thing that I actually liked. Hmm. Um, the Black Widow one that was like anime stuff, like the it had like an anime art style on Netflix. That yeah. was dope. Well, they're definitely stepping up their game. Um, but in the meantime, DC is still reigning supreme. And so yes. I'm really excited to see what they do with this. It seems very Wally and Artemis heavy, but. Not a bad thing. I'm tired of seeing shit about Robin all the fucking time. I feel like all the last season was about their relationship and I'm over it. Mm. Anyway, uh, it's very exciting. And um, it's at least one bright spot in the DC shit show. Just one. <laughs> um, another bright spot we don't really know anything but Steven Universe is coming out with a movie that's right that trailer literally showed nothing it didn't really show anything uh, I'm it's sure a there's TV be a lot movie. of speculation as to who the mysterious thing was white diamond 
No, they're probably going to do something else before White Diamond. Yeah, I don't think that was White Diamond. Yeah, no, definitely was not White Diamond. Who knows, though? We'll see. Um, I, as far as I know, there's not really any news about when the next block is coming out. So, no. um, We've also got a trailer for Glass. That's right. Did you see Split? No. I only saw Unbreakable. That's the one with Samuel? Yeah. I didn't see any of them. Really? Yeah, not really my thing. Hmm. So I, I have mean, absolutely no interest. Unbreakable is pretty good. It's like classic Shyamalan before he went off. Fell off. <laughs> I didn't see Split because I stopped watching his movies, but I guess I'll watch it in order to see Glass. You know, I'd be very interested to see Bruce Willis's character fight James McAvoy um, and to see Samuel L. Jackson really in anything. Fair enough. I do love me some Miss Samuel. Yeah. But, uh, oh well. We also found out that uh, the Clone Wars was saved. That's true. That is something I'm very excited about. That was an excellent series. Yes. Also got canceled way too soon. I agree. I'm very excited that it's coming back. Um, and who knows? Uh, maybe it's like this year. Is it this year or next year? Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. We're going to have to look this up. We're really informed as podcast hosts. Yeah. Um, lastly, in the... Comic-Con universe, uh, Doctor Who is coming out. And for the first time ever, a lady is ruining everything. Oh, and it's right. not the assistant. Was that a Doctor Who joke? Yeah, because all the doctor's assistants are women. Oh, I have literally watched maybe one episode of Doctor Who. Wait, really? Yeah, I watched like... The like ori- not the original original one, but like the when they rebooted it in like two thousand, yeah, and like look, David Eccles, like garbage. I mean, cool. like garbage it because it was two thousand, right? But then I was like, but I was like watching it in like twenty fifteen, and yeah, I uh, I really don't know much about the show if I'm being honest with myself. Um, and that's not true. I do know that the Doctor like changes shape every. Time they need to pay someone new or someone, I guess, <laughs> the actor decides they want too much money. That's exactly what <laughs> And then they fly around in some police box. I don't know why they call it a police box because it's a telephone booth. It's called a TARDIS, not a police box. Basically, the um, basically the doctor dies and reincarnates. Oh. But he only has a certain number of reincarnations before he actually dies. He's like an al- He's actually an alien and all of his species works like that, but they're all dead. So, I mean, I'm not going to even ask questions. Kind of don't care. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to be. I feel like I'm so far out from watching the like. Let me put it this way. I can't watch a show that's been going on for fucking decade, a decade plus. Let me put it this way. So much TV. Given what we are told about the lore of the universe that the time lords inhabit there's mm-hmm. absolutely no reason why it should have taken this long for there to be a woman as the doctor <laughs> i mean i'm not shocked like absolutely no reason oh. i can actually see a reason why maybe not a black person i was about to say give it 10 more seasons and they'll finally put a black person in there but <laughs> there was literally an episode where they went to like olden times and he was there with the black companion and it didn't go well for her i should really figure out what her name was i forget i'm not <laughs> uh, i haven't seen it in a really long time i, I stopped also, watching like, i hate because like legends of tomorrow does this 
all the time. I just hate like the we're going back in time and we have a black person here and they're just gonna be miserable the whole time. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, black people in time travel doesn't work really well. Doesn't work at all. Blessed be. All right, our last bit of news that is completely unrelated to San Diego Comic Con, but related to a lot of nerds. James Gunn. Hmm. Got that pink slip. Yeah, he got fired. Hard. And fast. My God. It was, it's weird. I feel weird about it. I also feel weird about it. So to recap, um, some 10-year-old tweets were dug up from James Gunn's Twitter feed. Um, where the, he, By whom is important here? Right. By, I don't remember his name. Mike Cernovich. Mike Cernovich. Um, an alt-right conspiracy theorist, I guess. And an attempt to prove the child sex trafficking in Hollywood. And it's a little deeper than that. That's true. You can pick this up because it gives me a headache. I'm tired. <laughs> so uh, he's a firm believer in the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. Ah, yes. That Democrats are running a child sex trafficking ring out of a pizza parlor in D.C., and now he has set his sights on anyone who criticizes President Trump. And because of that, he has now started to target a lot of Hollywood folks. And James Gunn has been a fairly outspoken critic of the president on Twitter. And so Mike Cernovich went after him and found some really old tweets that, ironically, he had already acknowledged and apologized for, just was not smart enough to actually delete um, I feel weird about this because the tweets were really gross. I don't yeah, they think they were that, horrendous. I don't think that comedy is a good excuse to be an asshole or no. to be a bad person. No. And I think that certain jokes are just not funny because they're gross. Actually. It's like the punching down, punching up. Yeah. Argument. Um, they were gross, but and uh, not even I don't even want to say but. And he acknowledged that and apologized for that and talked about it years ago years ago which doesn't i don't doesn't like fully absolve him from it i don't right. think because like i'm sure if i was like 15 instead of 25 and i had twitter i would have tweeted out some wild shit but also like he was a grown-ass man like in his 10 years late ago 30s yeah so there's like that argument too but, you know regardless disney still hired him yeah, and... Knowing about these tweets. Now that they've fired him, I'm very curious to see whether or not they'll be firing someone like, oh, I don't know, Johnny Depp? Yeah, and like, Johnny Depp also rolled up at the same Comic-Con that Amber Heard was at. Granted, for a different film, but like... It's still so. gross, yeah. and it's still unacceptable behavior, and if Disney is going to take a hard line, then there's a lot of people that need to be out on their ass, not just James Gunn. It was just weird. It's a every part of it is just weird. Yeah. I don't feel bad for him, but I don't think it should have happened this way. If it was going to happen, he deserved it, but it should have happened years ago. He should have just never gotten the job in the first place. Right. Like Disney hired him with no problem. So right. like I don't think it's like fair to like fire someone under a condition that you were okay with them being hired with. Yeah, exactly. And also, frankly, it is a bad precedent that you're willing to bend to a right-wing mob 
we talked about ArenaNet on the last episode, and it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, a Reddit mob cannot determine your hiring and firing, um, just in the same way that conservatives would say that a Twitter mob should not determine someone's hiring or firing. I think the difference here is that, you know, one person is a disingenuous piece of shit and the other person <laughs> was previously a piece of shit who is now trying to do better or at least says they're doing better. Um, so, you know, again, not really defending either of them in this situation, but like Mike Cernovich also has a bunch of disgusting tweets up and he's actually been accused of sexual assault, including rape. So and, like, and I think tried for it too. Yeah. This is not a guy who's like actually leading some kind of moral crusade. He's concerned trolling and he's a dick. Yeah. Ah, there goes that cosmic arm of the MCU. <laughs> I'm sure someone will step in. I know. We had the same thing kind of happen with Thor. Well, they just kept, them directors just kept fucking up. Yeah. Well, hire a, hire a woman to do it. Hire a black woman. Hire a black person. Hire someone that is not a white man, Disney. Can I, you think they can handle that? I mean, maybe. I'm not sure what in that particular instance. I, I don't know. I, yes. More people of color and more women of <laughs> color should be hired. Unrelated. It's unrelated, I know. <laughs> it's completely unrelated. <laughs> I was just like, if you have to hire someone. If you are going to enter a hiring process, maybe. Consider some niggas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be nice. <laughs> but you know, it's it's interesting is that Dan Harmon, who does uh, Rick, and Rick and Morty. I don't know why I blanked out on that. Um, basically, had the same thing happened to him. Uh, there was like a video, an old video uh, concerning jokes with the same subject matter, child um, rape. Yeah, uh, making his round on rounds on Reddit, which he also apologized for, and it was a long time ago. Blah 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 blah. And Cartoon Network just took the approach of like, well, he apologized for it. He'd been apologized for it. We knew this. We're moving on, and they didn't fire him. They were just like, we're not going to do that. I think the fact that he deleted his Twitter immediately probably helped. That's true, too. James Gunn stuck it out. He really did. <laughs> it's, a, it's a complicated issue. Yeah. And not one that I have a fully formed opinion on, which is okay. Incredibly special episode for you today. We really, we really do. So two weeks ago, we got to go to the Game Developers of Color Expo. G-Doc Expo. It was dope. It was lit. They let us cover it, which is dope we're and lit. Journalists, we're FYI. <laughs> just so you know, we're getting serious over here at Gamer Phone. Okay, so we have credentials. <laughs> do you have credentials? Because we did. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway. We played a lot of games. Several. Several games. Like 20. 20? No, but you know. Uh, sure. Like 20. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and I'd say we also learned a lot. I learned a great deal. I learned so much as just a fan of games. It was really something special. 
Shout out to Tanya Killmonger, by the way, who we got to meet and take a picture with. That's right. It's a very cute picture. It is a very cute picture, and I'm a big fan. She's dope. So yeah, it's all about game developers of color, obviously. Um, But I really liked their mission statement. Here is one of the organizers during the keynote. The Game Devs of Color Expo went from an idea as a small round table in NYU Game Center's Magnus Center to a hall in Microsoft's Times Square building and was reborn here at the Schomburg Center last year. And that was amazing. The event's purpose has shifted a bit too, as we've worked to expand the discussion past, you know, capital D diversity into something more like, let's just talk about really great art and culture because we all know, everyone here knows that the games industry that's diverse is better for everybody. So one of the big talks that we sat in for was the many faces of game development. You remember that one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Very good. I really enjoyed it, and I think it framed their mission statement, like, really well. Um, So in that vein, I think we should hear from some of the game developers that we talked to. Let's hit it. Leg out. First up, Skate and Dave. Woo! Yes. Rhythm game, dating sim. Woo! Or should I say... Gay. Hmm. Hmm. You play as Maggie Price, a high school junior who has a big old crush on Patricia Romano, an outcast at Diamond Park High. Both girls are on different roller derby teams, so your objective is to both do well, hit them rhythms, while also wooing your potential crush. We spoke to the game's developer, Geneva Hayward, who goes by Jensuta on Twitter. All right, and how long have you been developing games? Um, oh my gosh, since my sophomore year of high school, which was three years ago. <laughs> okay, so you're, you, you... I graduated this year. Nice. Yeah. What's the plans after high school? I'm going to NYU for game design in the fall. Perfect. Yeah. Oh my God, congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, so how long is, how long has this game been in development? Since like about last year in like September-ish, it started as a game jam game. Mm-hmm. And then I made it onto Kickstarter with this, and now oh. I'm planning on releasing it next year. Next year? Yeah. That's awesome. Probably for just- a game jam is basically like a hackathon. A whole bunch of the developers either get together, IRL, or online, and make games. Then we ask what the development process has been. It's been pretty hard because, you know, making rhythm games is really hard. There's a lot of, like, getting <laughs> everything to be precise. You have to have math included and all this other stuff. But, like, being able to develop the story and the characters has been fun. Yeah, I noticed that, like, the dialogue seemed very, like, real and also very funny. Um, Yeah, the dialogue is hilarious. It is very funny. And very relatable. (laughs) Very high school. Uh, Not only has Geneva worked on all that math and all that good writing, they also had some other roles. Uh, Who made the music? I did everything for this. (laughs) Yeah. Here's what they had to say about the art style in the game. Um, I mean, like, like I could say the inspiration for colors, because like I said, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to like take the 70s and like put this in the game to put it together. And I was like, I just, because I really like 70s music and like my dad, he's like the DJ and he used to DJ a lot when I was younger. So I like know so much about music. Um, but yeah, for when it comes to art, I've just been drawing since like middle school. And so I guess this my art style just developed the way it did. Yeah. So we played through a demo of the game at the expo, and one thing I really liked about it was the endings. So here's a bit of a spoiler alert. Spoiler! Alert. Whoop, whoop. 
Uh, we'll put a link. Play the game if you don't want any spoilers. But there's four endings in total. Which one did you end up getting? A gay one. Well, well, yes. Yours was called the softy ending, right? Hmm. What? Yeah, you got the softy ending. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Geneva does. So there's like four different endings in this version of the game. So, well, for the demo anyway, this is a demo. So like one of, like there's two good and two bad. The two good ones are for when you, you know, when you actually do good and you get like, like there's a meter on the side of the screen and when you fill it, that's like when you reach like the goal score for the level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's when you get to go on a date with um, Patricia. But like there's differences. Like if you hit Patricia or if you choose to like avoid hitting her. So, oh, I didn't realize that was yeah. part of the that was a mechanic in there. Yeah, nice. And so, so were you, Jordan, were you avoiding? Were you avoiding Patricia on purpose? Jordan was avoiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you got the softy ending, that. then that was avoiding Patricia. So you actually did really well. Yeah. Because I felt like you were missing <laughs> a good amount. I could not tell at first uh, what part of the rhythm I was supposed to be hitting on. And then when I realized that I could do whatever I wanted to do, yeah. then it became a lot easier to, to figure out exactly when I should be uh, dodging and when I didn't want to dodge. And I had seen before that if you hit Patricia too much, then she's not going to think she likes you. And I want her to like me, so I didn't hit her very much. And then I'm a softie. So. Nice. And that attention to story was built in right from the inception of the game. Yeah, like when I initially first started making this, I was like, okay, roller derby, 70s rhythm game. And I was like, okay, I want the player to be able to make their own beats and for it to do different moves. Uh-huh. So like this is like an older version of the game that I have here today because the newer one I was working on all night <laughs> didn't work out. Um, but I want it to be like, so it's more straightforward for the player to know how to get to different endings. Mm-hmm. Because for most people, they were like, oh, I didn't, like, for example, you like, didn't know. Yeah, I didn't you. do that at all. I just yeah. was like, oh, hit it on the thing. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm developing on trying to figure out a way to make it more obvious and also mm-hmm. probably get the move things in there. Because the optional beats that I, like, put in the tutorial kind of threw people off. It made people just want to spam the keyboard <laughs> and stuff, you know? Nice. And so, yeah, I'm trying to fix that. This nigga kept spamming the space bar. Um, I was spamming the space bar rhythmically. <laughs> no, yeah. he well, wasn't. Yeah, whatever. And then we just had one more question we had to ask. Have you been skating since middle school too? No, I wish. I mean, like, I've <laughs> skated indoors, but I've started skating outdoors recently. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Next up, we have The Last Stop, a point-and-click adventure game where you play Christopher Kit Chen as he rides to the last stop of the train after getting ditched by his little sister. So he has to set off to borrow the 275 from The Last Stop's eccentric residence. So Joelle and Amy are the two behind this game. They've been developing for two years now. Mm. As a thesis statement, they both met at FIT. Yes. What? You you heard that right. Who? FIT. There's an animation yeah. program. There's an anime. Okay, I did not know that. It's yeah. It's really small. Uh, I didn't know that. They they, they don't they don't they don't advertise it. They don't advertise it as much. We're literally the tech the technology of fashion of technology, honestly. That was Joel. Here's Amy. 
school tours aren't that fun. When they come by, they're just like, oh, what's this department? It's like, oh, yeah, they do videos. Oh, man, no. I'm so sorry. They need to put some respect on your names. That's, 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 that's what we were trying to do this entire time. Put this game out. Put some respect. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you were able to figure that out. Wow. That's, that's something. Here's how they came up with the concept. It was part of a kind of like a class curriculum mm-hmm. where we needed to like build a thesis. Mm-hmm. So it kind of started like kind of developing ideas around like the first year. And then towards the second year, it was just going from the, the like the pre-production into like the post-production. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time we had such a kind of like for both of us, like a big project I guess in a way with like a new tool like I was uh, like as the programmer I was kind of like had to learn how to code in C sharp from with unity from scratch in like a kind of yeah in a yeah in like within that time span and it was very rocky and very like stressful but in the end it was very really interesting and deep learning experience Once the two came together, it was a game that went from just about Amy's Chinese culture to a game that represented both Amy's culture and Joelle's Filipino culture. And that mix will show up a lot in the game. Anytime there's dialogue that's either of Chinese or Filipino descent, you can hover over it to get its definition. This mix also came up in the artwork. Here's Joelle. How was uh, creating the art for this? Um... We took the longest time <laughs> in pre-production because I was never happy <laughs> with anything. Like a true artist. <laughs> From the very beginning, I always wanted, uh, at least after she agreed to incorporate Filipino culture into it, um, I was so down into like trying to reinforce that mix mm-hmm. subtly okay. in the art direction. So, like, the colors you see um, when you're in the last stop mm-hmm. are based off of, uh, is a amalgamation of, like, it's just a mixture of, like, Filipino choice of colors and then, like, Chinese paintings, uh, stylistic, like, uh, style with Chinese uh, painting stylism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was just kind of trying to learn as much as I can. Nice, nice. All right. I'm curious, number one, why you chose point and click, um, and then number two, uh, who wrote the dialogue and is there any real life inspiration from a little sister that has led you to pursue this type of storyline? Oh, okay. So the first question was why point to click? Um, it kind of, I have like a super fondness for it since I started playing like what is it like the really old games like putt putt. <laughs> yeah, and those were really fun. Like I remembered. And I was just so fond of it. And then the second inspiration that kind of like pulled me towards like creating this type of game was a Taiwanese um, point and click adventure horror game called Detention. Yeah, Detention. Um, and it was it was just so beautiful. So in how they kind of weave together like culture into the puzzles. 
Thing so, I would like yeah, so I wanted, like, we wanted, like, something like that. Hey, uh, what was the other question? Oh, the, the, the rating, right? Oh, the uh, rating. Uh, <laughs> she wrote, if you couldn't tell, she wrote the younger sister dialogue. <laughs> she had a lot to say. Uh, we, we, switched, we switched back and forth with, like, uh, whoever wrote, uh, whoever wrote, like, different dialogues. I wrote one portion, she wrote another. So and so, basically. And, um, uh, sometimes I feel like it does. I might have tapped in a memory and then might have subconsciously <laughs> wrote it in. But most of the time, I'm just making stuff up. Maybe. Maybe. Awesome. Okay, last question. Uh, when can we play it? Where can we play it? In full. And um, any other shout outs that you want to give? Um, about the future of the project. Um, you can play this in my HIO, um, and it's z 4hio slash the last stop. Uh, as for when it'll come out, I think by next year we'll have chapter one. We're aiming for three chapters. But right now, it's more like since it's like a super prototype, we're thinking of like I'm thinking of revamping the all like uh, the code <laughs> because I'm like a perfectionist. Probably revamping a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It looks a lot closer to release than that. So, uh, kudos. It looks it looks great. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. That was for me. After that, we played the chat sim So Obscure. It's a visual novel through the interface of the main character, Sam's computer. The game is set in 2005, where you play as Sam, who is also renameable. And from the So Obscure website, Sam was born and raised in Hong Kong, who spends most of their time lamenting the lack of warped tour dates in their local area. Who comes across? Brandon. We caught up with the team that developed this game, Stardust Soda, by email after the expo and asked them a bunch of questions. The team is made up of two folks. We have Sue who writes and Yam who does the art, programming, and is also a co-writer. Uh, both took basic game design in high school. They would write and draw comics together and share Wait, them with friends. Excuse me. Yes? Y'all have basic game design in high school now? Uh, you know, it's funny. I I didn't. That's pretty impressive. Hmm. I mean, we got to find out what high school they went to. Or what year, because, like, I don't think video games were a career path when I was... I mean, they were. Right, we're right. We're getting right. off topic. We are. Anyway... So then they met at university and took one of their old high school stories and made a game out of it as Stardust Soda in 2014. That's cute. Very cute. Their first game was at the Nano Reno Game Jam in 2016. This game jam is specifically for visual novels, so they have plenty of practice in that genre. And I think it really shows here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. They came up with the name Stardust Soda because they wanted something that sounded delicious. I am watering in my mouth right now. I would drink the fuck out of some Stardust soda. It sounds like it belongs in Steven Universe. It does. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Get Rebecca on the phone. Anyway, uh, they first came up. They were almost called Stardust Sunday, but went with Soda instead, which I think was a good choice. Good choice. But anyway, So Obscure was created at the same game jam. It lasts a month. They do all of the work in three weeks, and then they spend the last week on bug fixes. This is the third time that they were doing this game jam, so they knew what they were doing, especially with the time constraint. Uh, they really wanted to focus on the writing for this one, so they went with like a smaller framework to go into to really flesh out the story. And it was it's deep. It's deep. It's a deep story. Uh, the game did really well at the expo. It did. It there did. was a long line. I Very long that. line. Uh, it was great. They had the the whole game ready to play. Like I was yeah, like, you can play it online now. You can play it online right now. It's dope. Please do. I had a great time. Especially if you are like, if you were alive four to thirty right now, that's probably the sweet spot. Yeah, I feel like if you were like alive and like really into things in two thousand five, you would really appreciate this game. Like I felt sucked back in their portal. It was great, which I really it was, which was really cool. Even like there was so much to relate to, even like cross culturally, was dope. But the team is now working on another visual novel. This one's called Through the Panels. It follows a young, aspiring artist who is searching for her next big story idea. And this game is set in the same universe. It's so obscure, but years later. And you know I love a good gaming universe. You're a big fan. Big fan. I stand. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. The link is in the show notes. Next up, we played Swim Sanity, a four-player underwater party shooter where you play as a MOOBA, which I'm going to call like scuba diver Iron Man. Is that accurate? Hmm. Yeah, like... I mean, I guess. I guess. They're just MOOBAs. They're MOOBAs. It's a corny. It's a corny comparison. Gotta have corny comparisons. You are pretty corny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you can choose between different classes. Like, you have, like, your medic, you know, your, like, shooter class, you know, all those guys. Um, they all each, shoot. They all shoot. You know what I mean. Like, your specialty. Like, one's, like, a defense dude. One's, like, a medic dude. Anyway, they all have supers, which they call, in this game, unleashes once you, you know, do what you're supposed to be doing. We got to play through most of the modes in the game. There's a co-op mode, multiple PvP modes, and a survival mode. And all of them were, like, wildly fun. I legitimately got to say that I did not expect to have as much fun as I had. Mm. And I'm kind of mad that I only played one long round. Yeah, I really needed more of this game right now. But we will get into all those details in our interview with Decoy Games. All right. Can we developing yep so my name is Ahmed Abdullah um, it's my brother Khalil yep. we've both been developing games for man prototyping for like it's going on 10 years 10 years yeah. for a prototyping phase so it's been a it's been a journey um, and we Khalil wrote an awesome post on our blog on a website so decogames.com if you guys want to see the full detail of the journey it's a good way to, to see it too yeah. yeah so the the concept of the game started off as a school project about 10 years ago when I was a junior this build that you guys are seeing today 
the Unity build probably started about two and a half, three years ago. So um, there were a lot of iterations to get the game to the, to the point that it is today. When did you start working on Unity? Unity, so we started learning Unity probably four years ago, like a year before this iteration went through. We were previously working with Microsoft XNA, which was a kind of a free to play, free to build framework by Microsoft. To release on all four consoles, we had to switch over to Unity. That's where we kind of enabled ourselves by using the online tutorials and from, this is our first Unity game. So yeah, what you're yeah. seeing is our first project. First commercial release. Yeah. So you have plans for Switch too? So right now we're releasing on Steam, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. We have, we have luckily talked to someone from Nintendo and we want to release on, on uh, the Switch. So, so fingers crossed, yes, yeah. we're, lo we're looking forward to it. We're looking <laughs> you guys were like ready, we're like, oh, someone's gonna ask us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He said four <laughs> consoles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a process, but we, uh, I, we're, we're confident that we think there's a good chance yeah. it'll come. We don't know when, but we're gonna and, keep And if it doesn't, it. complain to Nintendo that they need yeah, to get some sanity know. on the Switch ASAP. <laughs> That's right. Don't let them get away with it. It needs to be on all four. Yes. All right. Yeah. Switch seems to be the home for party games, so I don't think that they would have a problem with some sanity. Yeah. Um, so we just played a little bit, although we did play multiple modes. Um, I gotta say, I'm a little... Uh, blown away by how much fun I had <laughs> in such a short period of time. Uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, my clan and I are looking for a new like game to be playing together. Uh, you know, PUBG's running a little, a little yeah, sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not Fortnite people. Game? We're yeah. not Fortnite people. Right. Um, so I guess what I'm interested in hearing from you all is uh, where do you see Swim Sanity in like the world of party games. Yeah, so I think like one thing that Fortnite brought back is the like casual competitive gameplay where I think games like Call of Duty and Battlefield, which are great games, but they're very strong like just the competitive side. I think what our game brings back are like the days of like N64 where you have a lot of these party games where not only can the competitive gamers play and you know go at each other real hard, but casual new timers like you're seeing a lot of people playing the game for the first time can also feel like they're contributing as well. Um, Overwatch kind of introduced that back again and I think that's exactly where we fit in, playing the competitive layers to a, a, a party game. And we're really focused on online play too. Uh, it's something we're putting a lot of effort in. We want the experience to be something that's retro but the online aspects to feel very innovative. So we want to be able to, a lot of, there's actually a lot of indie games. I have a lot of party games out there, but some of them are not online. So they're local. So a lot of people can experience that. And that's the main way people like to play together. So that's one of our big focuses is make sure we bring that experience online. If you compete, go on leaderboards, you know, go up. But if you want to actually go together, complete challenges, work together, that's our goal. Yeah, if I had one criticism of like Overcooked, it would be that I can't play right. online with folks. Right. Um, and this seems like it would be a really great medium to kind of fill that same void. Right. Um, I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about the formation of the game in and of itself, like the idea of MUBAs. Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, MUBA, yeah. So where did all that come from? <laughs> right, this isn't going to be as... Uh, here we go. All right, so... This actually started from a school project that was inspired from a very old uh, Nintendo game called Octopus, where basically Mario would go down to the bottom of the water, try to collect as much gold as he could and bring it back to, up to his boat while there was an octopus that reached out and grabbed him. Now, I had a Flash project where we had to make a, a school where we had to make a game, and I wanted to inspire it off that. So based off that idea, I came up with some Sandy, the adventures of Mooba Jiver, the scuba diver. That's a horrible name, obviously. <laughs> and when I brought it to them, they're like, all right, we'll keep the MUBA part. So <laughs> yeah, the that's cool. where that's where MUBAs came from. So MUBA Jiver, the scuba diver, we just kept the MUBA. And the, these characters you're seeing are they're MUBAs. But yeah, it started from a Flash project, a really simple concept where I basically took the Nintendo idea, but I added a bunch of different sea creatures. So instead of just an octopus, 
there was what we call like a dive fit, a swordfish at that time, uh, crabs, squids, and you know, it just kind of got crazier and crazier from there. Yeah, and we just said, when we wanted to bring on console, like we gotta make this multiplayer, multiplayer. with four players. Mm -hmm. And then we just iterated on ideas. So we're like, okay, and the game, if we showed you guys a build five years ago, it just looks nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have rapid fire. It was very like tactical, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of taking out people, but then we just had to keep improving it. And the game industry innovates very quickly. Yeah. So even something that was actually really cool three years ago is just not that cool yeah. anymore. So a lot of <laughs> concepts we had to, had to make a lot faster, run at 60 frames per second, things like that. So it just evolved yeah. over the years. So you're going 60 FPS? We're, we're talking at 60 FPS. <clears throat> right now, we nice. played with 60 FPS. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> cool. Yeah, 1080p, yeah, cool. 60 FPS, that's our goal. Um, in terms of uh, the ID program. And just to interrupt for a second, the Microsoft ID program is for independent developers to build and publish games on their platform. Yep. I'm just interested to hear your opinion as being a part of the program, uh, as developers of color, if that has played a role in your perception or how you've been dealing with folks at Microsoft, anything like that? Yeah, yeah so I, I would say out of all three of the main developers, Microsoft's been, they have the most streamlined service, right? It's very automated and online, so I wouldn't say that being a person of color really affected us there because they haven't met us yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think where that's really come into play is a lot of times doing, you know, public conventions and stuff like that and submitting to, you know, a lot of these conventions you submit to, you have to be like judged out of criteria and stuff. And I personally feel like sometimes other people are taken, even with lesser quality games, are taken more seriously because you know they look they look more the part. We like we 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 note that we don't always look the part of developers, and we we're not willing to change the way we like look for that part or anything like that. But I think that's where it's really come into play so far. A lot of stuff like submitting into these kind of like Sony's and Microsoft and Switch, a lot of it's remote anyway. So I wouldn't say that it really comes into play quite yet. Well, I would also say though, one thing we're trying to do is really break down some barriers too, right? I mean, it's a fact that only three percent of developers in the world are black. Yeah. And that's just a very low representation for for a game. That's bad. Yeah. That's I didn't very realize bad. it was that low. Yeah, yeah it's it's very low. Um, so we want to break barriers and go there, and we also want to show that this wasn't us coming from some big AAA company. This is just mm -hmm. us, you know, wanting to just focus ourselves on gaming, uh, really just self-taught, just much a lot of, you know, working really hard and showing that you know people, no matter where you come from, can get into this. And I think just like any entertainment industry, whether it's movies, music, I think when you make it more diverse, that's where the industry goes for. Get different kinds. And of I think gaming hasn't hit its level yet where really people of color haven't broke into it. And when that happens, you're gonna see it take a new jump, just like how music took a new jump, sports took a new jump. So we're trying to, you know, kind of be thought leaders in that and see if we can be the ones that can really start pushing more people of color knowing like, hey, I come out of college and I can make games. And then you bring those game ideas in and that's when we're really gonna see things like take another jump in. So I'm saying to you is we love the project, but we guarantee you guys like our ideas that we already have in play, we're actually gonna, a lot of that's gonna come out of those ideas. Yeah, to be honest, absolutely. A lot of the, the diversity ideas and stuff, so. Nice. Yeah, I would not um, think that it was an indie developer that had put the, all that together. Yeah. It yeah. looks really polished for something that's not coming out for another year. So uh, kudos, it looks fantastic. Thank I just you. had a blast. That was definitely the most fun that I've had. Too. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't even have anything to add. Y'all said it all. Anything else that you would like uh, to throw in? Yeah, yeah. if you're a Steam gamer, a PlayStation gamer, Xbox gamer, and soon to be a Switch gamer when it gets released on Switch, come check out some Sandy. When I say like anyone from casual to competitive level can, can play and enjoy this, young, old, honestly, I'm not just saying that just to say it, 
you can see the crowd today, like all different types of age ranges and everything are enjoying and playing the game. So. Yep. And if you're in New York area, we're going to be at Play NYC, which is an awesome event, showcases a lot of indie developers here. It's all playable, so we'll be there as well. And we're going to be at Gamecon later this year. So we're definitely going to be in the New York area. So if you're a gamer, come by and we'll definitely love to interact. If there's there. events that, you, that are not on the list. Yeah, let, let us know. know. Yeah. Let us know, man. All right, cool. Dope. All right, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Right, um, excuse me, y'all. I'm taking a break. I am playing this awesome baseball game. Don't mind me. Remember this one? Remember this one, Nick? Becker Derby. There we go. It is a mobile arcade baseball game. Sounds like got, you're not doing too well. I got a foul ball. Oh my god, this is so hard. Okay. You know, hosting and talking and playing a game is very difficult. That's exactly what I predicted. I. <laughs> no, I'm gonna play it at the same time. I can read. I can do it's it. It's fine. All right. Oop. We got the breakout rally. Love. Break its heart. It's like pong. This music is so much fun. Oh, hell yes. Uh, I lost. Mm -hmm. I lost a fever round. Exactly. So, uh, who are you? Um, my name is Ray John Taylor Foster, and I am the sole owner of Maximum Crash. And tell us, what is Maximum Crash? Maximum Crash is, uh, it's, I'm a sole proprietor. It's my company I've been running for a couple years now. But uh, Maximum Crash is a meaning for maximum effort, maximum love, maximum soul that we put into the work that we do. And the crash is the effect that it has. And it, we hope to inspire, we hope to teach, and we hope to make the world a better place by the things we create. Uh, is it your first release? Um, no, this is actually my third commercial release as Maximum oh, wow. Crash and probably my fourth or fifth um, in total projects commercially released. So why don't you tell us about this project and uh, if you'd like, tell, tell us about the previous work that you've done. Sure. Um, so today we're showing off Becker Derby, which is a collaboration with Becker College out in Worcester, Massachusetts. And essentially, it's a one-touch baseball game, but a lot around here, the players have kind of called it Baseball 2 um, because of how innovative the mechanics are, and it's a fresh new take on baseball. And ironically, um, and don't hate me for this, but you know, baseball is actually one of my least favorite sports. So, I, you know, I made the baseball game that me, as a person who does not completely like baseball, would want to play. Fair enough, because I don't like baseball either, and uh, that's okay yeah. on this podcast because we don't we don't, really we don't do play sports, sports games, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Like I, I like like SSX or like like FIFA Street or NFL. Like I like more yeah. arcadey sports games, like game games, not like sports simulators. You know? Gotcha, yes. gotcha. So one of the first things that I noticed while playing Becker Derby was that you kind of give us a break. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's structured like a home run derby type situation. But if you do well enough, I guess, mm -hmm. then you go into kind of like a brick breaker. Yes. Are there other modifications as you go further along? Yeah, so it's it's the difficulty scales where it's like, okay, you start off with these pitches, these gravity bent weird pitches that you, this shouldn't happen in baseball, but it's happening. 
Um, and if you get a high enough home run streak, you go into what's called fever mode, and it turns into Pong, it turns into Breakout, and Breakout the Invaders, which is more of a combination between Space Invaders and Breakout. And um, if you can finish the fever, like get all the hearts on the rally or clear all the bricks, then you get a perfect fever. And you're able to choose from a random power-up that allows you to basically break the game. Maybe it's a multiplier. Maybe it's strike forgiveness or a foul guard where you don't get strikes for fouls and or an extender. It gives you more power-ups and just basically things that increase the experience as you go and it becomes more exponential. But if you get a power-up, the difficulty increases because I'm assuming you're pretty good enough to clear not just the home run derby, but also these retro video games. Gotcha, gotcha. That's really cool. I really appreciate the break in pace. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something, I, I think that a problem with a lot of the previous mobile games that I've been addicted to anyway, mm -hmm. is that I become unaddicted because they don't change up. It's right. like the same thing the whole time. Right. Um, so I thought that was really, really innovative way to, Thank to you. do that. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Uh, are all your other previous games mobile as well? Um, a couple of them are. Um, the previous one before this, because this is actually, Becker Derby is actually the third in a trilogy of baseball games that I previously released of, of that lineup of commercial games. The previous one was Bravehearts Derby, which is for the Worcester Bravehearts team out there in Worcester. And then the one before that is the original Starlot Derby. Um, and it's an entire universe that ties all the branded games together. It's a large story, but I'm still kind of working on it. And um, there's actually like a secret little ARG behind this game that I ran on campus, and it was cryptic, and it has all these notes, and it's Twitter, and it's all kind of connected to each other. Word. So how long have you been building all of this? Um, like collectively? I've been doing Maximum Crash since I was in high school. Um, I started off as a graffiti artist, and I was like, well, you know, I'm going to get caught by the cops doing graffiti one day, so I need to turn this into a legal business, you know what I'm saying? So I started doing graphic design, and that's what I was just calling it. I, I was still doing graffiti, I was just calling it graphic design. <laughs> but um, slowly over time, I just, I knew I wanted to make video games, that was something I was passionate about. So I just took the time, did my homework, um, you know, heads down, and just did it. And just kept chopping away at making games, and slowly but surely, we got to where we are today and I've just been doing this on my own and collaborating with all my friends that I've met along the way. Awesome. And speaking about art, we asked more about that in Becca Derby. The art style, where did you get your inspiration for that? Well, actually, the primary artist on the project, Max Farinito, um, he he had this really nice style. I've known him for a couple of years, and I said, hey, you know, I want to switch it up a little, little bit, because originally the games are pixel art. And I was like, let me move away from that. Let me go for more illustrated, more, you know, Capcom, old school Capcom, Power Stone, kind of cel-shaded, flat feeling. And um, it's also like functionality first, and then we put the art, because we're making games for mobile, and there's a lot of there's a lot of differences in devices, right? There's thousands of different kinds of Android, so being able to support that op with optimizations is something that was important from the jump. So to do that, we had a rule where it was like, okay, 70% of the art has to be programmed, and the other 30% can be directly animated and hand animated. So a lot of that is just really simple and really smart, clever tricks to draw that and create the idea of this is a field. But it also gives us more, I would say, control over how we can handle the graphics. To say, oh, maybe if the client doesn't like this color, and it's like, well, I'm not going to go to Max and say, hey, we're going to have to throw out the entire thing you worked a week on, and now we're going to have to do it again, I'm going to have to put it in and optimize it. So we made sure that the tools that we built for this project is as modular as possible. So mm -hmm. say if somebody else wants a baseball game besides just Becker, they could come in, 
I say, hey, can you make our mascot look like that? And we put it together and give it out. And it's already done. All the hard work is done. We just got to make it look good. Yeah, you could really tell that this developer works both smart and hard. And speaking of, we did ask what else is in the pipeline for Maximum Crash. I uh, can't talk much about it. Oh. Can't talk much about it, but I can simply put it that it's, it's a game where you solve all of your problems by punching stuff. Ooh. Okay. That sounds like my. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like if it's like if Hannibal Buress and Eric Andre came together to direct Fight Club Two in first person. <clears throat> oh wow! I'm in. That's that's quite the. Uh... What's your email sign up list? I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on that. Yeah, I, I could definitely. Yeah, I was very sold on that pitch. But if you need some maximum crash in your life right now, you're in luck. Becker Derby, Derby is, is available for free with absolutely no ads and microtransactions on what, the what? on the iOS App Store and the Google Play Store. Doing the Lord's work, truly. And last up, we have the ultimate clapback. It is a card game where you clap back. We ran out of time for a formal interview, but to bring things full circle, we did hear from Mary Martha at the top of the day from the Many Faces of Game Development panel. Here she is with moderator... Tara E. Walker, who is a senior technical evangelist at Amazon Web Services. I just want to know, you know, you talked about how your foray into game development, mm-hmm. happened, right? So how does the design of Ultimate Clapback, you know, re- how does that design reflect your experience? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. Do you all know what a clapback is? So for those that don't, a clapback is a response to something that someone says to you, right? So if I said tattoos are a lifetime of commitment, you could say too bad your marriage wasn't. If, you know, that like that kind of stuff, right? So my experiences at the time is that that's what was going on in my life. My tongue was very sharp. So I decided to design a game around the fact that my tongue was sharp, but make it fun. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah, they, you know, now I want to play. So you, they wouldn't even That's know what I mean. So that was my experience. And so who I am naturally as a person is in the game. And for me going through this experience, I think that that makes sense to be as authentic as to who you are. So like that makes sense for the game that you're making, right? Is pulling from your own experiences Absolutely. Of, of who you are. So, I mean, I identify as a black woman. My game at the core of it is a, it's a black woman. Yeah. Anyone can play, but it sounds like me. So we sat down with her at the end of the day to learn how to play the ultimate clapback. And y'all, we had a lot of fun with this one. Now on your podcast, do people cuss? I just want to be, I just want to make sure. Because I got a party mouth. It's hard, it's hard to not be explicit. Listen, I'm like, it's fine, we're doing it, we're Listen, easy, I don't care. I'm a black woman in America. I'm angry, paranoid, and I cuss. I don't have no spit. I really don't, and I'm like this all day. This is just who I am. Okay, so you want to do some gameplay, so I'm going to explain to you the mechanics of the game. Are you ready? All right, so this is the ultimate clapback. The ultimate clapback. Do you know what a clapback is? Yes. It's like what Rihanna does on Instagram, on Twitter all the time. Yes, and uh, John Legend's wife, oh, uh, Chrissy, she's good. She's good for the clapback, right? So here we have two decks of cards. The pink, your claps, the yellow, the clapback. 
everyone receives five yellow cards. So that's what you have. You also have a voting card. One side says word, thumbs up. The other says no. So that's yours. There's yours. Here's mine. So someone picks up from the pink pile. They say what's on the card directly to you. And then you respond with something in your hand. If your clapback is strong, you've won. If not, you've lost. The goal is to win five. So for the sake of the demo, we'll go up to three. The person to determine whether or not the clapback has won is the person that threw out the pink card. But if you disagree, so if I'm like, that's whack, you're like, no, no, it's real, real good. That's when we vote. Was the clapback strong or not? And then the majority wins, okay? Um, inside of here, you may find some fill-in-the-blank cards. That's where you have to be created. Um, I also have an ultimate card and a challenge card. If you get one of those, you should play it. And you'll know it because it says ultimate or challenge. And it automatically wins. So this is the game of improv. We're, we're just talking. It's about how we relate to each other. So you can look at your cards. Um, in gameplay, one of the things that I found, because, you know, the clapbacks are meant to be quick. So if you hold, <laughs> if you hold your cards, vertically then you're able to see what's in your hand so that so that it, it allows you to be quicker because that's how the joke lands that's how that's how it works yeah when we walked up to the game my knee-jerk reaction was to just think of it as like a black cards against humanity but it really isn't a lot of you winning or losing a hand has a lot to do with the delivery this is not a game of chance it's not about matching things up it's not what you say it's how you say it so say it with your chest. Believe it. Mean it. We all friends here. Don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you know, you ain't gonna hurt me. I wrote the shit. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, if you don't feel comfortable saying it to him, you can say it to me. I'm not offended. And yes, I wrote most of these based upon my mother's family. <laughs> so um, I'll get us started. Oh, wait, did I tell you if you don't have, like, if you don't think you have a strong enough club bag, you can pick up one for help. Okay. Oh, okay. But the one that you pick up, you don't, it's not like you pick it up and you have to use it. Okay. You can pick it up and still, no, right? So I'll get it started. Why are you always running your mouth? Like a crusty-ass lid. Wow, wow, okay. So straight out the gate, you put it down like that, you won. <laughs> so what you do, you're going to collect... You collect it to the side as if you were playing like spades or hearts. You collect your book to the side. Okay? So you should always have five yellow cards in your hand. So pick up one. And now you pick up the pink. Oh, we, oh so we both have to, re whoever responds first. No, it's whoever I say it to. It's oh, not, got, oh, okay. so I'm coming straight for you. Okay. Yeah. Got it. What happened to your girlfriend? So you put it down so we everyone can see what happened to your girlfriend. Say it. You tried it. <laughs> Just like that. That's good. That's good. And that's how I wrote it. So I use a challenge card here, and here's the explanation of how it works. So normally, right, the person who wins the hand, then they're the one to next pick up the pink card and go. The challenge card is actually giving you the opportunity to win another hand. So basically you're saying, you tried it, come again. Oh, okay. So you collect this to the side. You should have five yellow cards in your hand, and now you got to come back. Yep. Pull your pants up. Pull that credit score up. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. You know, you start talking about the credit score. Yeah. 
This is great. So what we were doing was going around in a circle, and you don't have to do that. That's not in the rules. You can actually call out whoever you want. So this is a great game. You know, you got something to say, get it off your chest, do it in the ultimate clapback. Uh, did you put your makeup on in the dark? Come on, did you After put that, your makeup I was on called in out. the dark? Are you still a college dropout? <laughs> huh? Are you? <laughs> what happened to your edges? And after that, Mary Martha called out Nick. Straighten your face, you look constipated. No, 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 no. And let me tell you why. Because you kept laughing through it. And There's no conviction. You, you had no conviction. So I win. I win. It all came down to the delivery. So wait, okay, let me see, let me see. Why you suck your teeth when you mad? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You lost. You got nothing. Pick up one for help. So if you have nothing, nothing at all, you can pick up another pink card and add it to your deck as a lifeline. You don't have to use it, but I think it worked out for me. So let me set it up for you again. What I said was, why you suck your teeth when you mad? Why are you so pressed and distressed? Yes, yes, you just won the whole game. I love that. That's a good lifeline. Just like that. So that's so that's how the game goes until someone gets to five. Variations of this that I've seen people play, they decide to do like, they keep going back and forth. Um, in the rules, it just says, these are the basic guidelines. Don't take yourself too seriously. Do what you want. Have fun. So it's the same way when we play Uno, when we play Monopoly. No one knows the real rules to Monopoly. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. No one No one really knows the rules to Uno either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then if you play Spades, right? And with that, Schomburg Center was closed and the game developer of Color Conference was over. It was great. It was really good, and frankly, I just want to shout out not just what the mission statement was, but the way in which the conference was constructed. Mm. It was constructed to be accessible to yes. everyone yes. across racial lines, class lines, ability, etc. I, I think everyone felt incredibly welcomed. Yes, yes. There was food there. It was... Silicon Valley food. It was soylent. <laughs> but I mean, like, we Not were nourished. <laughs> Everyone was nourished. Everyone was nourished. Um, and just being in a safe space and demonstrating that you can have pronouns on your name cards and that you can be explicit about preserving the rights of people of color and whatever marginalized group to be themselves and not be discriminated against, to mm. have those policies up front and clear, it didn't take away any fun. Like we all had a ton of fun. We all did. <laughs> There's really no downside to doing the right thing by people. And GDOC was a perfect example of that. And kudos to all of the organizers. Yeah, I absolutely agree. One thing I do want to add as well, I think it was like the first sort of conference expo that I've been to that like really took having resources for developers, yes. like really seriously. Um, I know like 
we both kind of like do conferences and stuff like this. And they tend to be like super insular and not very like, you know, it's like, here's a card and then that's it. No, like they had folks from Amazon, they had folks from Xbox, they had people there who were ready to like give these resources to the developers that were showcasing and I'm sure the developers that came. So I was really glad to see that. That was a motherfucking show. That was a show. Thank you very much for all your hard work on this show. Yours as well. You were an excellent interviewer. Oh, thank you. Ugh. I'm a gaming journalist, so... There it is. And thank you to all of the developers and development teams that we talked to. Y'all were great. Thank you to the Expo and the organizing team that put the whole thing together. Y'all are also great. And shout out to my audio friend, Julian Wheeler. Thank you for letting us borrow your Zoom, because otherwise we could not have done this. It really worked well. It, it worked very well. It was great. I highly recommend it. Great for conferences. And yeah, I, that is a show. That's a show. If you enjoyed us, rate and review. Always a big fan of that. Always a big fan. I Tell stand. your friends. I stand telling the friends. Shout out to Max and the elementary schoolers in Michigan where you live. Oh my God. Yeah, we have children <laughs> listening to this show now. So I didn't, I don't think I cursed too much. We'll do our best. Uh, it's a struggle. And next time we'll be able to talk about Subnautica because he like took me all through that. It was mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah, in two weeks, we'll be back. The home screen will be back. We'll be talking about all of the games that we've been playing since the expo. It's going to be a ride. It is indeed. Okay, well, deuces. Peace. No one really knows the rules to Uno either. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then if you play spades, right? If you play over here, it's... Wait a minute. Shit, I did the thing. Oh, no. You don't know how to play space? And guess what? And I ain't gonna teach you. (laughs) Really? You really don't? I really don't. Do you know how to play? Long Island, New York. I just. Where's your family from? They're from Long Island. Uh, Yeah. Well, what do you identify as? as a black American. Yeah. And how do you identify? Black American. I'm confused that you don't know how to play space. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, did y'all not have cookouts? We, we did have cookouts. What were you doing at the cookout? Uh, we, were, we were at the kids section, not playing space. Or bed with. Or, no, not that one either. I'm just. I'm That's not right. Why is it so silent? You don't know how to play. Dominoes. Okay, and where are you from? Maybe it's because he's not Southern. No. I I I should know how to play space. Some my 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 older family members they they failed me. Listen, if you want to have a conversation about how older people have failed us, I can tell you. Or how the adults have failed us. I got one. I got a couple of them. I was in, it was 1989. My father had died. I was sent down to Alabama. Uh, My hair was coming out because I was stressed because I was nine and I had no father. 
So I was pulling my hair out. Somewhere down there, the adults thought that it would be okay. So my aunt was like uh, the supervisor of the local work release program from the prison. Somehow they thought that it would be a good idea to have the murderer in the jumpsuit come over to the kitchen and cut my hair because he was getting his barber license. 1989. So they cut my pressed hair. It was pressed. They washed it, picked it. And when I, when he was done, I had an afro. They put fucking comb in my hair and said, look how pretty you are. flower cones that would go like this and said that I was cute. Look how pretty. Yeah, that's what I said. That the man from the work release program, the murderer, in his suit, came on over to the kitchen. He was part of the work release program. So they would let him go to work. I don't, something about it wasn't right. So she was a supervisor, and I think my aunt was probably, maybe she was doing something she wasn't supposed to do. Love you, Aunt Karen. Um, she's retired now, so I don't know. It's not like they can come back and get her if she was doing false things. She wasn't doing false things. She loves Jesus. Aunt Karen. But yeah, that's what she did. She failed me. And, you know, and I told her that this week, because I'm about holding adults accountable for their bullshit. Yes. You know, telling little girls we don't wear tampons because it makes your nose bleed. What? Say that? Yes. Tampons are for fast girls. <laughs> what? What? That's how they fail you. And then, you know, you go and live your whole life thinking the reason why you don't use a tampon is because it's going to make your nose bleed. Oh. Then you in college, your college roommate is using a tampon, and then you like, it don't make your nose bleed? No. And then they looking at you like you crazy. Those are some of the, now that one didn't happen to me. That happened to another friend of mine. I won't say her name, JoLynn. <laughs> that happened to her. Hi, how y'all doing? Do you want to play? You want to see how it's played? Sure.